Hello, I am C-3PO, and I believe the storyteller is ready. So, let us begin. Drop your weapons! It's okay that we're here. It's okay that you're here. It's good. You're relieved that we're here. Thank goodness you're here. Welcome, guys. Did she do that to us? The 20 begins with our heroes having infiltrated the First Order Star Destroyer. They got a couple of things they got to take care of. One, Ray has the sense that Chewie is still alive, so that's good. They got to go rescue their pal. Also, they have to get uh, the dagger, even though 3PO remembers stuff, and they did uh, jailbreak his brain. And anyway, that part seems a little bit sloppy to me. They break up. They do, in fact, get Chewie, but that doesn't go very far because they get uh, surrounded. Poe gets shot in the shoulder, and they seem to be completely trapped by Elysian General Pride and General Hux. They're uh, lined up as if to be executed, and then a good thing happens. Uh, Hux kills the stormtroopers, reveals that he's the spy. Uh, our heroes uh, are able to escape. Finn shoots Hux in the leg to be able to make it look like he wasn't the spy. Uh, they escape on the Falcon without Rey, um, and that allows Kylo and Rey to have a confrontation while Rey is in Kylo's office. Kylo's still back in Kajimi. Um, uh, they fight. They confront each other. Kylo tells Rey that she knows that her parents uh, were killed by uh, the instruction of Palpatine uh, and that Palpatine wants her dead. Uh, and then during the fight, Vader's helmet falls off a podium. Kylo knows where she is. Uh, and then he goes up to confront her on the Star Destroyer. Uh, as she's trying to get away, Kylo lands. They have a bit of a confrontation. He tells her that she is a Palpatine, that she is the granddaughter of Palpatine, and that uh, he, the grandchild of Vader, and that they are a dyad, and that they will be able to combine their force, work as one unit, and defeat the Emperor together and rule the galaxy as two halves of a coin. Um, she uh, doesn't take his hand again. Uh, she skywalks to the Millennium Falcon and uh, they take off. Uh, she's terrified, uh, but they're also confused because the First Order doesn't follow them. Uh, Kylo can sense through the Force where she's going um, because he also was able to read the Sith dagger. Um, and they go to Kefbur, which is a, a moon of Endor, uh, and then they crash land there. Right, and here they meet some uh, natives to the land. Uh, Jana, most notably, is kind of their leader. She uh, uh, she's a little bit skeptical of them at first, of course, and she is very weary about them uh, crossing that water into the Death Star. Which, by the way, the Death Star has crash landed on this moon of Endor, um, and uh, there's no stopping Ray. Of course, she kind of commandeers one of their skimmers and sails her way across to the devastated Death Star. She climbs up into the old moldy rafters, um, manages to open a door where a sort of uh, Dagobah-esque moment happens for her where she sees what could happen. She has a vision, Ray does, of what she would be like if she were to join forces with the dark side. That, of course, is Dark Ray, who we know from the trailer. Uh, it only lasts about 10 seconds. She's knocked back on her... Uh, on her butt as the as the wayfinder tumbles out beside her and is stopped by the boot of Kylo Ren and our 20 ceases. Yes, but meanwhile that's going on. Uh, Finn and Janna are going back and forth uh, and Finn realizes that Janna and uh, the entire uh, group on Kefbur were former stormtroopers and that they laid down their weapons as well and they abandoned the First Order just like him. And so, and, and, and Poe is really cranky. 
Oh, and, and Hux got killed. Allegiant General Pride figured it out. Oh, that, yes. And he, that's right. And he just like cold blood kills Hux. A couple of things, really a lot of things. There's a lot going oh, on in this 20. Oh, my God. There's so much to talk about today uh, in news and in this 20. Now, a lot of it is is really good. I first want to nitpick something you said uh, when you're recapping her little confrontation face-to-face with Kylo Ren in that hangar where he reveals the truth about her her lineage, her being the granddaughter of Palpatine. You said that she doesn't take his hand and then she airwalks to the Millennium Falcon. That's true. Skywalks, but, come on. But it kind of it kind of leaves out a detail that I'm confused over, and now this is the fourth time I'm seeing this movie. Um, he tells her, look, I'm not on Team Palpatine either. I'm on Team Kylo and I want you to join me over here, uh, which is very Star Wars and that's great. She doesn't take his hand, but he tells her, you know what you have to do. And she pauses and then she gets kind of cold. Like all the soul goes out of her and she goes, I do. I do. And then she leaves and it and it feels it feels like she has secretly joined him. Do you know what I'm talking about? Except that never is resolved. No, I don't feel like that at all. I see it as she, like you know you have to confront him. You okay. you know that like I the only thing that I've ever been able to see in your head is your obsession with you, the, of finding your family right. and your belonging. I know, like, we both know you're going to confront him. Right. So do it, do it with me so that the two of us can take him together, like, because neither of us could do it alone. And ultimately, as a result, we'll rule the galaxy as one. There's zero downside in Kylo's mind on this offer. Uh, but Ray, obviously, there's plenty of downside because of the dark side. Uh, and she ultimately knows what she has to do, but it's slightly different than the way Kylo wants her to do it. Refresh my memory. How how likely did we think it was going into this movie that Rey was a Palpatine? Like on a scale of one to 100, what was your estimation that she's probably a Palpatine? By the time I'd say December hit, I was, I'd say I was probably about, 60 70 percent sure she was palpatine sure and, I mean, and, and when you're watching there's movie, i'm still hoping she was born of the force right. and i think there's like also there's so many ways in which i can say this but i'll say it right now this 20 just doesn't need to happen because right like the entire story is the exact fucking same if she's not a palpatine Literally, it impacts nothing on the character. Right. And like, oh, the tiniest bit, the tiniest, tiniest bit. But really not much is seeing as, oh, your parents are either like losers or they're like heroes of the biggest like evil loser of all time. So it's just like it's it doesn't really need to be added in that regard. Um, but I mean, yeah, there was still some hope that it could be something else. But all hope, in my opinion, I think it was lost of any Skywalker at that point. Okay, Skywalker but here's Solo. here's my here's my counter to that point. So much of Star Wars is about destiny and and what is expected of you because of who you are by blood, and that's mm. that's what makes the final thesis of Rise of Skywalker this you can choose your family thesis so powerful uh, when we're talking about Star Wars overall because Luke overcame what his father was before him. Uh, mm-hmm. which is which is funny because uh, he just wanted to be everything his father was before he knew he fought, his father was evil. Um, and we talk so much about what's expected of Leia because who uh, because of uh, her family and what's expected of Ray or um, of Luke as well. and and I think that you kind of neuter the ending for Ray if she just decides to be a Skywalker because she had nobody else where it is kind of exciting that she has chosen not to be, 
the family that she's always longed for. Like she's always, she's always wanted to be, uh, she's always wanted to belong to her own blood and her own blood sucks. And she had to realize that and come to that, uh, that conclusion on her own. But her own blood sucked anyway. That's, that's my point in the sense of in the grand scheme of things, this is just another little thing that really feels like, Oh, just throwing this in here. And it muddies up the way that these three movies flow tremendously, in my opinion. Don't you think it matters, uh, though, that they're a dyad in the force? Like, whatever that means, and we can pick that apart in a few minutes. They're not yeah. a dyad in the force if she's not a Palpatine and he's not a Skywalker. I completely disagree. I think it makes a ton more sense for them to be a dyad in the force if she's born of the force. He's a Skywalker. The lineages make ton more, tons more sense for that to be aligned. I, and To be honest, Palpatine and Vader being... Um, like master and apprentice and having a close bond. Sure. But they, they, they weren't a dyad in the force necessarily. Um, maybe they were, maybe Luke and Leia were, but we don't really know that or are given any implication of it. I, I really don't think that that necessarily matters. The Palpatine Vader thing. What is a dyad in the force and how come it's the first time we're hearing about it? Like, the Diet in the Force is an introduced new thing, and I think it's there's nothing wrong with it. I think it uh, makes a lot of sense. It mirrors off of kind of the imagery that The Last Jedi presented of two halves of the same coin, uh, kind of like the, the prime Jedi that they were showing there. But this kind of comes in two forms through two different people um, and that their powers balance one another and that particularly that the Force allows them to feed off one another better than other. I, I think it's just a bit of luck, but it's also a bit of Star Wars uh, soulmates, like force soulmates. And uh, I think if you could say like Luke and Leia kind of are those things, I think more so than Vader and Palpatine would have been even. Um, to me, I think that would have been like Luke and Leia, you could say could have been potentially a dyad in the force. Um, but I think it's because of this strong connection that the two of them have. I'm not against it. Um, I'm super, super, super against Palpatine not knowing. Yeah. It is the, it's one of the worst things about all of this because it, once again, in my opinion, it neuters Palpatine. Palpatine always is thinking 10 steps ahead and knows more than anyone at all times. And then this is just some one random time where he just doesn't know any of the information, whereas normally he knows everything everything yeah i had a similar feeling no sense i had a similar feeling uh momentarily after that when kylo goes to see palpatine and palpatine is like well she's still alive maybe you've betrayed me and he, he's like he's trying to think ahead but he really doesn't know what's in kylo's head and yeah, and that doesn't work right that doesn't work at all i mean i get that like he did some of the testing with Snoke and like, I can see your mind and all that stuff. But at the same time, it, it doesn't make sense for Palpatine to not know what's going on if he's also been the voice in his head doing all of this. And that right. Snoke was a test. Like it doesn't line up at all. Well, this it's is why very, it's very, very sloppy. It's such a missed opportunity that they're not more clear about whether or not Palpatine did in fact create Anakin of his evil power. Because if he did, he uh, created, agreed. he created the Skywalker uh, legacy uh, their entire dynasty, he created it of his own mind and power. And that should be an overarching theme through every Blood Skywalker in all of Star Wars. Palpatine should always have a weird, uh, powerful connection with not just Vader, but Luke and even Leia 
And certainly that would explain how he's so connected to Kylo Ren. It, it, mm-hmm. It's just, it's a missed opportunity that that's not clearer. And we, we you I and am- I have come to accept it. There's reason to believe that's probably in somebody's head, but it's not written in stone. It, it isn't. And to be honest, I don't know if I... Uh, I Actually, I think it's pretty close to written in stone. Right. That that's not the truth, actually. That's too because bad. Because it, it, it has been, it's been, it's been teased enough and yanked away and corrected enough that it's like, oh, we meant that. No, we didn't mean that. Sorry. That's that, <laughs> we meant to imply that Anakin thinks that, but that's not what we actually want to say. Um, I think it's a bit of respect on George's wishes and that George either didn't want that or never wanted to explicitly say that maybe. Um, but I liked the notion of Palpatine creating and being like Anakin's father in that regard. Um, and I, there was the legends notion of the force reacting to Darth Plagueis and Palpatine's experimentation, uh, by creating Anakin and still making him one created by the force, which could also connect him to Palpatine in that way. But one thing I would like to say, just to counter back to all that, I believe Palpatine, and this is also just a headcanon thing, I believe Palpatine is the strong connection to Ben Solo because I believe Han and Leia conceived Ben Solo the night Palpatine died. I believe that's how Palpatine was able to embed himself his, um, his spirit was looking for somewhere to go to latch on to. Yeah, I mean, he was able to go to within the world between worlds as he fell down the portal to be able to con- retain his uh, consciousness in the Sith and Jedi in the, I guess, the Force um, time continuum. Um, and then he would, I kind of picture like his body goes down to wherever where the people carry it off and they try and salvage it. And then his Force presence is divided and kind of haunting uh Ben and then also existing in kind of the ethereal plane. And so that's the way I interpret that. So I, it makes a lot more sense to be the voice inside his head sure. his entire life. And ultimately the reason as to why he had no control over anything. And when Ray kills him, he becomes his own person again. I do kind of like this theory that it's not, I don't know if it's a theory, but you just said something that I'm sure we've talked about before about how maybe the force willed Anakin into existence as a, as just a means of, creating a counterbalance to the evil that was Darth Sidious and and Darth Plagueis. I like that because Mm. Star Wars is already so rife with Judeo-Christian themes. And Mm. and what that is, is it's counter to evil creating the Chosen One, which is certainly not biblical. It's good creating the Chosen One. It's not a singular Mm. God, but it's it's because the the universe so needed this, this fixture of goodness we tried, and it was flawed, as man is flawed, as Jesus Christ was flawed, and certainly Anakin was, but we tried our best to counter the evil that was plaguing insidious throughout our, our universe. And I think that that aligns uh, better with the ending that we got, um, not necessarily the intended ending, and I mean that because it does not align the same way as well with Return of the Jedi, in my opinion. Right. Um, And so when it comes to Anakin killing Palpatine, that's where I see the balance in the sense of the, like, although Palpatine creates him, he's still creating the Chosen One. The Chosen, I see that as the Force claiming the creation almost. Um, So although Palpatine may have been involved in its... um, somewhat i see it as the chosen one not necessarily being palpatine's creation palpatine experimenting sure but there's a reason as to why palpatine didn't know where anakin was or that he was the chosen one necessarily after a while and so i don't know there's a lot of things up in the air as to what it could be um 
But I think that's also another thing that they just, they failed to tie up at all. And also if you're going to bring Palpatine back, another thing that you have to kind of tie up because then why'd you bring him back? We get a little flashback uh, to Ray's parents, and you and I have talked before about how it's a shame that Jodie Comer can now never play somebody else in mm-hmm. a in a in a broader role in Star Wars because she's she's too memorable as as Ray's mom. All she does is scream no or something. Do you wonder though if maybe, and this is probably not the case, but like they could maybe pull off a twist where Ray's mom didn't die in that attack because all they show us is her dad getting stabbed and she's kind of standing behind dad while it happens. We don't see Ray's mom die. Uh, no, she a hundred percent has to die. It, it doesn't make any sense where she went. It right. then means she's a total shit bag. And <laughs> Kylo also ne- didn't lie to her. He emphasized that. And JJ was basically like, Oh, I'm not taking away what you did Ryan, but I'm changing it. Um, so they still died in a pauper's grave in Jakku. Right. So they're both dead. And that's another thing. So they flew away and said, she's not on Jakku. She left them. But they just flew to a different part of Jakku. Yeah. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> that doesn't align at all. Stop. Like, that is shitty. Like, that is JJ actively not even, like, watching The Last Jedi more than, like, once. That just does not make sense. I have a I have a Jakku-related nitpick about this 20, and I do want us to celebrate some stuff about this 22 because it, it has good stuff in it. Um, it does, but I unfortunately, I do have a long list of some nitpicks, too. Well, here here's my biggest nitpick, and it's minor. It's not story compromising. It just seems kind of goofy. That when they get to uh, the water sequence, and, and Jonna says, you can't go over there, look at the waves, and there's a skimmer, and, and Ray steals the skimmer. I am, of course, and I want to make this very clear, not in the Ray as a Mary Sue camp. She's oh. not. But no, I, I agree, but I, I have the exact same thing you're going to say. So she's an expert pilot. She's good at fixing things. She can speak droids. She's an amazing acrobatic combatist, and she's the strongest ever with the Force. That's all fine. She was alone on a desert planet for a long time. But we're going to toss in now that she's like an expert regatta sailor. And yeah. she grew up on a desert planet and never saw water before two weeks ago. <laughs> I, I agree. It's absolutely absurd. Yeah. The fact that the people living on the, pl- on the moon think it's too rough to go across. And they're like, no way. And also, I love the added benefit of, oh, no, we didn't just ha- say, guess what? There was a second transport that Chewie was on. <laughs> guess what? There's a second skimmer all of a sudden right. because the plot needs it. And one of the worst things, Poe and Finn and everyone is okay with waiting till morning. Guys, you had six hours at most yeah. until Exical. You can't wait until morning. No. That is not possible. No. Like, pay attention to what you said, like, at most two hours ago, 20 minutes in the movie, but apparently time isn't a thing here so so we're uh treated to a bunch of conversations between finn and jonna this is a character that i i it's it's just so useless she's pretty useless it's nice that it it provides for finn a little companionship in that he's he's taught that he's not alone in his particular journey and that's good that's that's edifying because that's what he's always felt so alone um and that's nice but it's a little confusing because I think the clearest indication we ever get from Finn's mouth, and I, I did mean Finn. Was I saying Poe before? Um, no, you said Finn. Finn. Uh, 
The clearest indication he ever gives from the horse's mouth that he might be force sensitive is when he says to uh, to Jana, the force, the force brought me here with Ray and Poe. It's real. I wasn't sure then. I am now. And this is when he's talking about his um, defection from the stormtroopers. And she's like, oh yeah, we did that too. All of us did. Um, and they agree that it was just a feeling that overcame them. And so that to me is Finn saying, look, I got the force. I, I can feel it. I believe in it. I wasn't sure before. It's real. And it kind of sounds to me like it's Jonna saying, yeah, I got the force too. And so does everyone in my crew. Yeah, because guess what? I'm sorry, JJ. Do you not remember one of the funnier lines from your first movie? That's not how the force works. <laughs> That's literally what Finn says. You know what we'll do? We'll how will we find her? We'll use the force. That's not how the force works. You don't just say, I have an instinct where something is. Because that's not how the force works. Ray says, I have an instinct that the dagger is something we'll need later on. Finn, Finn said, I have an instinct that this was a reason. They, had, they say in this 20, three or four times, I, because of an instinct. At this point in the movie, I think it's up to six instances of instincts deciding all of their decision making that is so lazy okay but i also think that he's not saying specifically the force told me what the answer was when i was a stormtrooper i think he was saying the force guided me away from something that i knew was generally wrong and i do think that is how the force works the force got me out of the world that was wrong for me the, the force saved me in like a in like a greater um, well, yes, because he's a Jedi, I get that in that regard. But then it goes to like the Jana side of things, and no, that's not how the Force works. Sorry, right? Like, you, you guys, unless you're all Force sensitive, which there was forty of them, by the way, <laughs> and like you all like had a Nazi-like upbringing, and now you're all immediately just defected at once. You all had this sudden urge to do so, even though the fact that you would most likely have been murdered on spot for doing so. Also, you've grown up training with blasters, yet you all have bow and arrows and ride horses. Yeah. That makes so much sense. It's a little weird. And also, slap in the face to friggin' um, Kelly Marie Tran, because yeah. like Jana's in this a ton and she's useless. She's uh, also Lando uses the crossbow at the start and she's got the bow and arrow. They both wear yellow and they so clearly like everything pointed to that being something that they every it's such just something they abandon. And once again, character was useless. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, we've talked about everybody except for Poe. And here's my, here's my hot take about Poe in this 20. We've talked, we've complained a lot about Poe in this movie thus far. And he is kind of a shame overall. He's funny in this 20. He is he's funny. funny in he's, this he, well, it's good. It's a good combo because he's got the anger that he's had in this movie, but he feels a little bit more like his character. Uh, and so that's nice. I will say of all of the deaths that this movie doesn't commit to, I think the one that we don't even uh, register because it's so fast is Poe's. When Poe has been dummying stormtroopers Armored stormtroopers are getting taken out with one shot of these blasters. He mm -hmm. takes a pretty ballsy shot to his shoulder too. Finn screams the the signature Star Wars no, or actually I think he screams Poe, but it feels the same as, it feels like dooming for the character of Poe. Five seconds later, he's like, whoopsie daisy, and he's fine. Oh, I, I didn't see it as dooming at all. I thought it just hit him in the arm. But you have to you have to admit these blasters. There's an inconsistency with with how mortally wounded you can be with one of their shots. 
Yeah, there's a huge inconsistency, but the bigger thing that bothers me is the stormtroopers who are waiting to get shot in this bit. <laughs> there are stormtroopers who run up behind them and then just, they turn around and shoot them. Right. Like, what? Yeah. I know stormtroopers are bad shots, but they at least shoot, at least have them like miss so that they know that they're there. It's just like, boom, we're, do like, we're all Han Solo and Ben Solo. We can shoot behind our backs and know what to do. No. Maybe they were hesitating because they had a feeling. Maybe, because that is apparently the reason for <laughs> a lot of things here. And then uh, General Hux takes a couple of shots, one to his leg, which is uh, by the good guys, and then one to his chest, which is where he meets his maker. I know you have some problems with Hux in this movie. I actually like the way he gets killed off because I think it's it's one of the... Just for a brief moment, this movie feels gutsier than it ult ultimately is. Like, mm. they really are willing to go there with killing him. And it kind of hurts, even though, like, you've never rooted for Hux. You're like, oh, shit. But he is such a First Order zealot from birth. Yeah. No way in hell he betrays the First Order. Agreed. It's it just doesn't work. It's so inconsistent with well, the character. That's the thing. That's the thing. JJ betrays as many of his own like beginnings as he does the things that are happening in the Last Jedi. There's like, people talk about this being a sequel to The Force Awakens. It doesn't align with even The Force Awakens that much. Okay, but but Hux doesn't so much betray the First Order as he uh, does something for him, and it's one of the best lines in the twenty when he says to Finn, "I don't care if you win. I need Kylo Ren to lose. This is about my ego and what he's done to me and the trajectory I was on before he made me look like a pansy in front of these people." Yeah, but it still doesn't check out. It, he's going to sabotage him within. He's not going to bring the entire organization down. It makes zero sense. He, it's basically he's saying, "Oh yeah." I'm cool to be uh, at the end of this tried as a war criminal and execute it because that's exactly what he's asking them to do, basically. And right. when he's like mad. Oh, you shot me in the leg. Well, what the fuck did you expect? <laughs> you blew up six planets. That wasn't Kylo Ren. That was you. Like Hux has killed more people than anyone in all of Star Wars. And then he just is boof, useless. That's a little annoying. Although obviously Palpatine's killed anyone more than Star Wars. But ultimately, Hux is the one who gave the final order on that. And then there's Dark Ray, who, let's face it, was for her six seconds on screen, cool as fuck. Yeah, super cool. Great yeah. little battle. Uh, very uh, dumb, in my opinion, that the lightsaber doesn't align with the one at the end of the movie at all. Yeah. Um, I think that, like, why is it this cool, like, switchblade lightsaber when there's just no reason for it to be that? It's it, trailer bait. It's, it, it's trailer bait purely, uh, where it didn't need to do that. But other than that, it's it's super cool. Um, she's got the, like the sharp teeth and it's very calming. It was one thing that I just, it was, I knew it was going to be a vision. So I, I didn't feel hurt by it. No, but it could have uh, been a little juicier, a little longer. Could have been a little, it uh, could have been a little longer. Yeah. yeah. Like 10 seconds, I think might even be generous. Yeah. Okay. You well, do some quotes. Um, yeah, sure. Sure. Yeah. So I got some Poe ones, Poe and Kylo and mostly that, uh, does she do that to us? Uh, when, uh, she does the force trick to the stormtroopers. That's actually, um, uh, as long as we're there, that uh, particular scene where they're still all together, where Ray is still with the boys, gave me a mm. strange sense and it opened me up to what else is visible in this 20 in particular, which I think is a lot of um, visual directorial homages to the original trilogy of Star Wars in that particular moment, though much more cinematic with the with the hues and JJ loves color. He loves lens flare. He famously Way loves lens flare. Blue. There's a lot of blue here. But just tonally, it feels so much like the scrappy first infiltration of the Death Star in Star Wars A New Hope. Later on, 
Ray is uh, sneaking by herself, a la Luke in Cloud City, into Kylo's office, and that feels like Empire Strikes Back. And at the end, she's literally in the throne room on the old Death Star, and that feels like uh, Return of the Jedi. And so there are some some either tonal or literal references to those three movies in the original trilogy in this 20 alone. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I like that it's a hard thing for them to get out of the Millennium Falcon and A New Hope and that they have no issues here whatsoever. They're able to kind of just run free. Uh, But yeah, it's a cool little uh, homage. I see it more as the direct homage to A New Hope for sure. Yes. Um, But yeah, it's it's, it's a cool sequence for sure. Um, Poe, uh, there's not really a right way is there, um, when they're kind of going around the hallways, uh, and after they get surrounded, Hey, uh, fellas, <laughs> the stormtroopers, uh, obviously um, a couple of good three POs you mentioned last week, Babu Frick. He's one of my oldest friends this is adorable. He also says, and this is kind of a throwaway line, but three PO says, what a dreadful situation is every day like this for you people. Madness. <laughs> yeah, that is a really good line though. It's yeah. a great point. And it kind of is. <laughs> yeah, it really is for these people. Uh, someone's from Kylo. Uh, so that's where you are. Uh, I'll come tell you. Yeah. Um, you're his granddaughter. You're a pal. You are a Palpatine. My mother was the daughter of Vader. Your father was the son of the Emperor. What Palpatine doesn't know is that we're a dyad in the Forest Ray. Two that are one. We'll kill him together and take the throne. You know what you need to do. You know. Uh, Poe, uh, did we ever find his volume control? <laughs> Uh, I think it's Poe who says, of the Millennium Falcon, and I like this a lot, there yes. she is, she's a survivor. Yes, that is a good line. I it's like a, that one It's a, a good lot. title because it could also refer to Rey. I want, does she do that to us? Okay. There's also the really good encounter after Hux uh, says, I'm the spy, which I hate I'm the spy, but I love the reaction. I'm the spy. What? You? We don't have much time. I knew it. No, you did not. <laughs> I like I'm the spy. I think it's I think it was an exciting moment when it happened in the I think it got a laugh in the theater. I adored the reaction and so that's what mellows it out for me because I absolutely love the expression. Uh it's it's the it's one of the best little just bromance segments of the two of them. So it's great. I think one of my favorite things Kylo says in this, and it's part of a longer monologue, but just isolated. I think my favorite line of his in the twenty is you don't just have power, you have his power. And that's yeah. that's really awesome. Yeah, you can make that the title if you want. Sure, sure. Um, I like the little back and forth as well uh, between Poe and Finn. Well, I'm not Leia. That's for damn sure. Yeah. Oh, no, it's meaner than that. He's seething. He's so disappointed in Poe. Yeah, he really is. Yeah. All right, that's all Uh, I've got for for quotes. Sure. Do you want me to start? Sure. Uh, All of my, I suspect we probably, there's there's an obvious Jonna, um, trivia question it's my giant yeah. question but uh all of my it, it's it's one of mine too i brought i have a backup one though all of my so trivia let, questions are, are jana <laughs> for some i have reason. a lot of jana ones as well um padawan question how did jana uh get the first order ship parts to help out finn because that was their crashed ship that they had on the other side of the moon okay sure yeah where, where specifically was the the crash landed ship that they're stripping for parts oh um no, I don't remember. On the West Ridge. Oh, okay. Yeah. Meaningless throwaway. Yeah, that was just a part of a sentence. Yeah. That wasn't specific enough. <laughs> no, no, you're right. You're right. Um, spell Kef Burr. Oh, Jesus. Um, yeah, I don't even know if it's Keth with a T-H or Keth with a F sound. 
Um, I'm going to go with TH. <laughs> Except you wouldn't be asking me if it wasn't obviously weird. Colin? Yeah. It's Kef. Okay. Burr. Like Jeff. Um, all right. We're going we're gonna to shoot our shot here. Uh, Q apostrophe E H F F B U R H E. So off is insane. Well, I bet. S- spell it how you would expect it to be spelled. Uh, K-E-F-B-U-R-R. That's exactly how I initially spelled it until I corrected it to it's K-E-F space uh, B-I-R. B-I-R, okay. Beer, almost. Yeah. Uh, well, I know you'll know this because I'm sure you have it yeah. written down. What was Jonna's Stormtrooper name? TZ1917. Oh, I have 1719. Oh, really? Yeah. We're going to have to go to the tape and it will play right now. We were conscripted as kids. All of us. I was TZ1719, Stormtrooper. Where does the name Jonna come from, and is it a better story than how Finn got his name? <laughs> Probably not. Maybe not. Um, and her name is, I don't know, a slight homage to Jaina Solo. I don't know. It's, yeah, she doesn't matter. She Her name sure as hell doesn't. Finn was from the FN division of, of Stormtroopers, and, and she was from the TZ division. Do those uh, numerals mean anything to us? I don't think so. I believe that's just their codes. Okay. I don't think it has a designation. Maybe it's just where they trained or something. Okay, what you got for me? Uh, where does Jana say her company laid down their weapons? Uh, the Battle of the Anset Island. Of, of uh, Onset Island. Are you right? reading that? Yeah, because I have it as my master question. Ah, I see that. Fair yeah. enough. Yeah. I told you all my questions were Jana questions. Yeah, oh, that's fair. Um, well, my master question, um, what was the number of Jana's company? Uh, what was the like the number of their division? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. 40? Yeah, good guess. There were 40 people in the company. That's what I heard you uh, say earlier. Yeah. Yeah. 77. Company 77. Uh, there are some other things I think I want to say. Uh, oh, you yeah, know what? Me there, too. there was a there was a really good. Um, it was unusual for Star Wars, but it's but it felt reminiscent to filmmaking of like 1960s, maybe maybe also uh, 1977, when they're first on Kef Burr. Uh, there's a very strange drone shot that zooms in on our heroes, and it's kind of shaky cam, and they're walking down along a ridge, and just like. The cinematography of it doesn't look like modern Star Wars, but there's just something very beautiful and cool about the shot. I don't know if you can if you can picture what I'm talking about. Sorry, is this like the shot of where they're right looking at the Death Star for the first time? Did you well, say this on Kef Burr? Well, it is. And it, I don't know if it's right when they're looking at the Death Star because it's kind of like they're walking down a hill from the Falcon. Like it's, it's right after we've seen the Falcon like crash landed in the in the field and the then there's a, we... there's a distant shot of our heroes like walking along a ridge and there's kind of a weird zooming quality that feels like very old cinema to me i loved it yeah sorry i, I don't i don't know what you're talking about but that sounds good yeah i i do know like, i do love the shot of the death star i i think it's it's extremely cool uh i think it's a, a little dumb it couldn't have just been the forest moon of endor because we do know there are oceans on it you can see it in return of the jedi right so that would have been a little nicer and would make a little bit more sense but 
that's not the end of the world. Would have been nice to see an Ewok that way, seeing as they just stuck it at the end for a random reason. And also, Janna doesn't matter, and so the Ewoks would have been better. Inside the uh, the Death Star, I just love... It's cool. Oh, it's so... I love that there's, like, water and the old the Stormtrooper storm helmets, helmets, helmets are just in the puddles. It's really badass and creepy. Uh, it, it's creepy, ominous. The, the, sound, the Imperial March played in the different key... Um, similar to what it does when Luke's taking off Vader's helmet um, in the throne room there. It's very ominous. It's very cool. It's, it's, uh, it's a good part for sure. Um, and then I also loved when 3PO is speaking gibberish to the stormtroopers as a distraction. <laughs> I think that is amazing. That's not I even a language. That. Yeah. Yeah, that was really good. There's some good stormtrooper action because you talked about, uh, I mean, you really like when when... Poe has that line after Ray fools the stormtroopers, but just the interaction with the stormtroopers is super funny. Where yeah. where they're like, "Oh, we're, we're relieved you're here. You're here. Yeah. Oh, it's good. It's funny." <laughs> yeah, it is good. Uh, it makes the deleted like the Tom Hardy stormtrooper scene from the Last Jedi. Oh my god, that would be one of the worst scenes in Star Wars had they had kept that in. I don't think I'm familiar with it. I haven't seen it. He, he's he's like a southern stormtrooper, and he's Ew. like. He's like proud of Finn for his promotion because he recognizes him. Ew, um, and then the stormtrooper, the stormtrooper standing behind him are also too tall, and that's because they're Prince William and Prince Harry, right? Uh, and so everything in that scene got cut. I was going to ask you who were William and Harry because I know it's so ballsy to cut <laughs> future King of England from your movie. <laughs> I, I know <laughs> he's in the Blu-ray though. Yeah, I guess I think that's pretty much all I've got left. Uh, for the most part, those are the. Those are the big notes of this 20. A lot going on. And really, it sounds like we we hated it. I didn't. I, th- I thought it was good. It just has a lot of... just uh, It's speedy and uh, fluffy at times. Yeah, and I mean, I didn't want to like shit talk it. And I think the next couple are going to be better. But I did... It was really missing... It had some serious holes for me. And so I'll just go through a couple more of the, the other little things. Uh, the podium with Vader's mask on it was insanely conveniently placed. Yeah. I don't know why uh, also, you have it there. No, also, Kylo didn't know where she was. Right. Okay. She had the dagger in her hand. So he knew where to go because he had read the dagger. So he has 100% seen the dagger. So that corrects the thing that I was like, how did he know where to go to Kefir after? He says in this, I stand corrected there, he has read the dagger. That's how he knows where to go. Okay then how the hell does he not know she's already in his office when she's holding the dagger again? <laughs> well, how, how Why does those... he have to wait for Darth Vader's helmet to be destroyed to clue in? How are those connected? Podium? But he because didn't... That's, he, he didn't... The dagger was in his office. Oh. But did he know that? Because he doesn't have, know anything about, like, Chewie being arrested. Yeah, he has to have, because he has to have read the dagger. That's the only way he knows where she's going. Uh, I guess so. I don't know. I don't know that you can say for sure he knew that dagger was in his office. Well, then he has no way of knowing to go to Kef Burr. That's like, in, how in the world would he have known to meet her there? I don't know, man. That's a, like a that's a needle in a universe that doesn't make any sense. So, <laughs> okay, uh, fair enough. That's that was one where I was like, okay, he either reasonably knew where to find her or unreasonably was not paying attention to the dagger in her hand, okay. which I prefer because it's a smaller plot hole. <laughs> right. Okay, fair enough. So just a couple other small points before we can uh, move to the news, but um, when it when the Falcon lands on Kefbur and totally crashes and is able to fly pretty damn soon after, 
She's a workhorse, baby. She's been through but lots. But it's also, it's buried and the landing gear is destroyed. How do they also have landing gear? Because they're repairing the cockpit, not the landing gear. It doesn't make sense. I guess so. And also, why did it crash? Like, is that even? Because the, la- the landing gear was broken, Chewie said. That. But oh. also, why was the landing gear broken? I don't know. That must be in there somewhere. I don't well, know. I, I don't think it is. It must be in there. Okay. Um, Ray not healing Poe. We mentioned that before. After he got shot, that yeah. seems a little dickish. That would have been helpful. The snake. Uh, yeah, that's when conven- he decided not to date her. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, oh, okay, this is fine. <laughs> I see where we really stand. That's right. Uh, and then, of course, the convenient ruler on the dagger. <laughs> Yo, the dagger, the holding the dagger up. I didn't even get what she was doing until the third time I saw this movie. I was like, oh, I guess it kind of lines up because it doesn't kinda. really doesn't really line up. Good thing you were standing exactly there. Exactly. And yeah. it's not like it was a very specific part. No. I would be more okay with it if it was like clearly the spire still sticking out and it was raised high in a very clear, distinct shape. And I could be like, okay, maybe it hasn't shifted in the water, but it's, it's like just a very standard shape. <laughs> right. And is it 3PO who asks her later on, what is the Death Star? And she says a bad place from an old war. Oh yeah. I have a, uh, not a big fan of that line. Couple ba- I have a couple bad lines. I'm the spy. That's the Death Star. It's a bad place from an old war. And, uh, you know why the emperor always wanted you dead. Right. Which, no, no, she doesn't. Why would she? <laughs> Okay, let's let's talk about the news, um, and let's try and move through this fairly quickly because we're running long tonight. I know we're running long, but I figured that was going to be an unfortunate one because there's a lot to talk about as well here. So For sure. we will try and move at a reasonable pace. Okay. Uh, quickly, the only really thing to talk about in in the movie area is a pretty damn big thing, though. Uh, Taika Waititi is going to direct and co-write a Star Wars movie officially. This was rumored a little while ago, but this is awesome. Hell yeah. He's going to going to be co-writing it with uh, Academy Award nominee uh, Christy Wilson Cairns, who uh, was part of the, was one of the co-writers of 1917 and Last Night in Soho. So, I mean, that's he's working. He's got somebody to work with, bounce Amazing. ideas off of. That's excellent. And uh, Taika has has learned from Dave Filoni in the last little bit about kind of how to interpret the universe. And he did, in my opinion, the best episode of Mandalorian. So I think this is damn exciting. So do we think that there's a, that there's a kooky Star Wars movie in the making with Taika? Is that why you hire him? I mean, I he is, no. he's a legitimately great artist, but this guy is kooky in his, in his origins. That Those are his yeah. roots. I think you could maybe, there may be some eccentric elements of it. Uh, like you've seen Thor I, Ragnarok. Yep, but I haven't, but I, I know of its beyond X and like humor and all those things. And I think it certainly will incorporate those, but I think it will stay within Star Wars for sure. And I think there's going to be some elements that, I mean, it could be the Kevin Feige project. Kevin Feige said there was somebody who he wanted to work with from Marvel on that Star Wars project that he was going to be doing. Um, but it could be something that's part of something bigger or it could be a standalone and maybe he's going to be focused on some obscure aliens or funny characters, some things that are maybe more um, silly circumstance or silly characters so that you don't necessarily need to be silly with the material. Okay. All right, cool. Well, that's well, great. Just my, that's my assumption at least. Um, but they have a schedule to do uh, 2022 and 2024 and 2026 still. Wow, And so they say they're still on schedule for that. So if I had to guess, I would say this is probably the 2024 movie. Yeah. 
Um, and if that's the case, because well, this is based on take a schedule, but uh, if that's the case, then that would mean that they're doing something in 2022. And so maybe they're doing some one-offs for the next little bit before they do a big trilogy, or maybe some of these are part of a bigger trilogy that they're keeping hush-hush or are lying slightly about to the media on certain things. So that could be interesting. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to that because he's, he's kind of a genius. And so that's going to be great. Uh, absolutely. Uh, some comments, Sam Witwer, who does the voice of Darth Maul, he made on The Last Jedi and uh, The Rise of Skywalker. Uh, he got a little bit of shit for it, but to be honest, uh, I think I agree with everything he said about The Rise of Skywalker. And it, it, it weren't, like, he wasn't shit-talking by any means. Uh, he was just saying he felt it didn't really connect with the the Star Wars uh, universe that was established by George Lucas, and he had trouble reconciling consistencies with them. And he said, I don't claim to understand it like George Lucas, uh, but uh, I have learned a lot from Dave Filoni and from those interpretations, um, the opinion I had from the movie, it just didn't really align for me. So he was very, very um, diplomatic about it. Uh, but he was also, he said, he said he didn't like The Rise of Skywalker and he didn't like The Last Jedi. Wow. Uh, he, he didn't feel that The Last Jedi, uh, he didn't feel that it made a compelling argument as to why Luke didn't go help his sister, uh, which I don't agree with, but I have some issues with The Last Jedi as well. It was, uh, in my opinion, the way you describe your distaste for something. I think John Baeg has been, he hasn't been outward, but he's done a couple pot shots sort of things. He's been a little silly, and that's fine. But I thought Sam Wartwer expressed himself really well. And I mean, some people, of course, only listen to one sentence and like take a soundbite out of it. But I listened to the context of it, and I thought he, he presented everything well. He didn't take a, a shot at anybody. He was very complimentary of both Ryan uh, and uh, JJ. But he felt that Ryan didn't do his Star Wars homework to the same extent that he could have. Probably um, true. And and. I think that's true. I think Ryan really wanted to go based on his interpretation of Star Wars. And uh, I don't know if that's a good thing. But uh, Sam also said that you have to uh, take those kind of uh, chances because talented people like Ryan Johnson uh, are the kind of people you want to try to see if they can develop a Star Wars project that fits within the universe. Right. And so uh, it was all good things, but it, of course, created a, a little bit of controversy as the Clone Wars are certainly a big talking point at the moment. And Dave Filoni is, is finally getting some recognition in uh, mainstream media, which is really nice. I just think if, if Ryan Johnson had had been fairly given his chance to make his own Star Wars movie outside the, the Skywalker saga, I know there was some talk about that, and I don't know if it's still going to happen, but... We would have loved it because he's an amazing filmmaker and he's, yeah. and he's, he's a great writer and, and it's just like, and he really got his due this year for something that was completely born of his own heart. And if mm -hmm. he would, if he had the opportunity to do that without the constraints of uh, an existing franchise, let alone part two of a trilogy, mm -hmm. um, I'm sure he would not be this complicated Star Wars director. He would just be this guy who made an awesome Star Wars flick. And I hope we get that someday. Who knows? I w certainly wouldn't blame him if he didn't want to come back, but we'll see. Uh, he, he does want to come back. And so, I mean, he's still pushing to the media that he's still involved and that there he doesn't really know any timelines. But uh, I, I hope he is. I don't think he is anymore. I thought for the longest time that uh, people were just w hoping that to will it into existence. But I actually am starting to believe that he probably won't do the, the Star Wars stuff. But I hope it does happen. He has his own franchise now. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the case, but I think also just in terms of like, hey, let's part on as good a terms as we can be on because we both know the, the backlash that this has received as much as we loved working with you. Right. Because that's the that's reason, like Kathleen Kennedy uh, apparently 
adored Ryan Johnson. Everybody loved making the movie, um, but apparently the higher-ups weren't a huge fan, and then apparently, well, a lot of people seem to not be a fan of the product. <laughs> you don't say. Okay, what next? Uh, TV. Uh, so Mando season two, uh, Robert Rodriguez and Bryce Dallas Howard are confirmed yeah. uh, to have directed some episodes, and so that was uh, cool. Those were both rumored before, um, but I imagine... Um, I think Bryce Dallas Howard probably got at least one, so she maybe are doing is doing a couple this season. Uh, and also Peyton Reed uh, was confirmed as having directed an episode. So we did eight Ant Man, Bring It On, Down with Love, The Breakup, and Yes Man. And so um, interesting, yeah. Bring him. He's got a a certain style. Uh, people seem to be happy with that. So uh, these are just different people who can play within a sandbox that's already created, and that really allows you to to see who could be a good director, like a Deborah Chow, and then you can feel incredibly comfortable giving her an Obi Wan show. Exactly. So I think trying these things out. Rick Famuyiwa, uh, and give Dave Filoni an episode or two. Favreau is going to do an episode or two this season. And then these names right here, those are probably the directors. So if there may be some repeats from last season, but I don't, we're getting anybody else besides the names that they announced there. Okay. Well, that's a, that's really good. I mean, Rodriguez is, is certainly the most, that's the name that jumps off the page when you talk about this list, because that's just it, very, talk about quirky. It could be really cool though. Like really cool. Yes. And, uh, his, his Twitter post was awesome. It was, um, uh, so excited to have finally uh, done a project directing the biggest star in the universe or something. It was pictured with Baby Yoda. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, and it was just Baby Yoda looking adorable in a director's seat and not big enough to like even reach the edge of it. it was, <laughs> and, like This is a robot turned off, and it was still super cute. Right. Uh, but there's also The Gallery, which is a, a new Disney show on Disney+, Plus, which kind of does back scene, like behind the scenes on TV shows. And uh, their first eight episodes are on The Mandalorian. And so it's actually there's more content the, than the entire Mandalorian season in backstage content. That's awesome. But uh, yeah, I haven't seen it uh, yet because I just haven't had the time. But um, a couple quick quotes, one from Dave Filoni. I'm very honored to have worked with John Favreau here as a mentor. One from Pedro. We wouldn't have been able to do the show without Dave Filoni. Uh, people are raving about this, so I'm really excited to watch it. And it's yeah. uh, going to be interesting to kind of see how the processes works. Apparently, the collaboration was incredible, and uh, that makes me very excited. Everything points uh, to me like everybody should be reporting to FNF. Favreau and Filoni should, in my opinion, be in charge of everything. They're just uh, not having any period. problems on Mandalorian. Everything is going exactly according to plan. Yeah, and just like consult with these people so you know the sandbox to play in. Right. And then just like, Leave it at that. And so Leslie Headland, who's apparently doing that show, uh, The Russian Doll, she's producing, show running, and she's writing it. And so that's great. And I that's been confirmed. Uh, but that's the kind of thing that that's just, that's some random person given a lot of power. Yep. In my opinion, that's totally fine. But everything should be screened by Favreau and Filoni. There's no reason that somebody should be given complete creative control who has never had experience in the franchise. It's George Lucas never he imparted it uh, onto Disney. Uh, he checked. He was still a mentor for Dave Filoni, and there's no reason people can't go to Dave Filoni to at least make sure that they're not contradicting shit. And so that would be my hope for sure. Okay, our Wi-Fi is giving us some trouble, so let's get through this. We will get through it, and the main thing I want to talk about really is the Clone Wars and. Oh my friggin' God, the finale in the last four episodes. I am so excited for you to watch this. Okay, but you can't you can't spoil it for I, me or the I audience. I, I won't spoil a damn thing. I absolutely promise you. No need to worry about that. I will say that 
because I do the prep for these podcasts, uh, I keep a couple of note lists, like top top favorite characters. I rank my characters, rank my favorite Star Wars stories, rank my favorite Star Wars moments. And I went through, and the final scene of The Clone Wars, in my opinion, is a top 10 Star Wars moment in, oh, like, in wow. all of Star Wars. It was so incredibly moving. Um, I was blown away. I personally thought the last episode was the best of the bunch. Um, with the third last episode coming after that, and then the second last episode, and then the fourth last episode. But all four of them were sensational. Uh, the highest episode uh, rating of the first 130 episodes of The Clone Wars was a 9.7. Okay. The last four episodes were 9.8, 9.9, 9.9, and 9.9 on IMDb. Dang, that's really good. So people are really that satisfied. Is, people are loving it, and they really should. It's sensational. Uh, it should be watched as a movie. I think anyone will love it. It can. You won't have the same impact if you don't know uh, the characters of Rex and Ahsoka as well. Uh, but you will get to know them a little bit throughout the four episodes, and Rex and Ahsoka are incredibly important characters. You'll start to understand the connections, and Dave Filoni wanted to create it in a way that people who didn't, who hadn't watched all of the Clone Wars could still see some of the connections and appreciate it, having watched Revenge of the Sith and understanding Star Wars as a whole. Well, look, I know and that... so that's very exciting. I know that Ahsoka is is uh, Anakin's longtime uh, Padawan. I know that Rex is like a, a general, a leader among clone troopers. I know that uh, Darth Maul factors heavily in these final four episodes. That's all I know, spoiler-wise. But I'm excited to go over these over four weeks with you because never have I had an opportunity to recap something on this podcast with you that I am watching for the first time in real time. And so I'll just watch them week by week and they'll be, all of my thoughts will be really raw and I'm excited about that. Yeah, I'm really excited about that too because you have a lot of questions. Uh, yeah. Captain Rex uh, was promoted to Commander uh, just in one of the last couple episodes, I think, or maybe he gets promoted in these ones. Whoops, sorry, I told you. Um, but like he's somebody who has always been Anakin and Ahsoka's uh, right hand of the clone troopers and he has tons of personality and he's been there since the clone wars movie um and uh, so he ha he comes up again in rebels later on with ahsoka and so it's 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 sensational i uh, i'm excited to have you see that and although you won't have the same backing on it uh, i still think you'll really appreciate it okay well great i can't wait are we good cool. yep all right. Okay. A couple of happy birthdays. First of all, I want to say a happy um, Star Wars Day, which was a couple of days ago. Uh, it seems like people really got into Star Wars Day this year. It was just like Absolutely. a bigger viral sensation this year. Uh, there was a hashtag going around, although people were generally fairly positive. There was a hashtag that went pretty uh, trending that was hashtag Disney do better, um, which is true. I mean, I'm not exclusively as an overall, but the Disney, Disney could do a little bit better. Sure they, could. they have the, they have yeah. the ability to. They, there's not they're not lacking the talent. They just just be more organized. <laughs> uh, happy birthday on Tuesday, May fifth to Richard E. Grant, and Tuesday, May twelfth to Donald Gleason. So uh, generals Hux and Pride, both birthday boys. I I don't know how, but I would love if sometime in that era, maybe in the Mandalorian, I'd love to see Pride again. Yeah, that'd be cool. He's he was awesome. He'd have to be a lot younger in The Mandalorian. He, he would. He, they, yeah, he'd have to be like 25 years younger. And so yeah. maybe not The Mandalorian, but something else maybe in, in that era. I mean, we have a whole 30 years. We don't know barely anything that happens in. Yeah, that would be really great. Now, for God of Cast 1, uh, a couple of uh, very famous uh, men who this week were just announced to have been cast as very famous men. Real and complicated figures. Um, one of them is Joe Exotic. The other one is uh, Toronto Mayor Rob Ford. 
So if you got to cast one in Star Wars, is it going to be the former Nicolas Cage or the latter Jim Gaffigan? Uh, we're having a bit of a connection issue here again. I'm barely hearing you, so just keep that in mind. Well, you've done Nicolas Cage before. I figured, I thought maybe I, I'd done Jim Gaffigan before. No, you, you haven't. And I was excited to pick Nicolas Cage because I think Nicolas Cage, and to be honest, if you make me cast a Star Wars movie tomorrow, and the new droid is voiced by Nicolas Cage. Yeah, that'd he be sick. My he is my first choice. Yeah. I think it would be awesome. I think he would be excellent. The way he was uh, in his kind of uh, side character role in um, Into the Spider-Verse uh, as like Spider-Man Noir, he was sensational. I think he would be so good. Uh, I think Jim Gaffigan would be a hilarious um, Uncar Plutt-style alien. Um, or somebody you would find in a in a cantina getting into a, probably getting killed to be honest yeah um, some form of confrontation um, that could be quite funny but I would I would go with Nicolas Cage because I just think I, Nicolas Cage would be one of my top picks <laughs> new subsidiary of this game could either of them play Beckett. Oh yes, you have you have that as kind of your testing point to yeah. see if somebody could play Beckett because it is a, kind of a generic role that really almost anyone. Could it's play. called could have been Beckett. Could have been Beckett. Um, Nicholas Cage. Let's see, Nicholas Cage. Eh, could have been Beckett. It could have been but Beckett. <laughs> it would have been. It would have been a little weird. Uh, it would have been hard to take seriously the turn, um, or yeah. that Han found him remotely cool. Gaffigan. Uh, same with Gaffigan. Yeah, he couldn't do it in the way that like. We said Nick Offerman last week. Like Nick Offerman he could. could he could pull off coolness and insidiousness and and, and yeah. a complicated. I mean, I, Jim Gaffigan's a good actor, but I struggle to see him in that role, even if it is a broad role. Yeah, Jim Gaffigan could maybe be like um, the, the the Granny Snake at the start, who's like <laughs> who's afraid of the sun. Um, oh shit! How come I don't remember her name? Um, Ma. Oh, well. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Whatever. Yeah. All right, so that that's everything. Yep, that's everything. Okay, well, if you want to be caught up to where we are by next week, watch roughly the first hour 35 of Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker, which, by the way, is streaming now on Disney+. Plus. If you have any thoughts on this week's podcast, you can email us at Recorder66Podcast or uh, tweet us at Recorder66. Um, rate and review on your preferred podcast app, and until we are together again, may the fourth be with you. Bye.